Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Thursday, November 11th. Today on the show, Mike Wilson of the Knoxville News Sentinel gives us an interesting tidbit about SEC basketball as the season gets underway. Either Middle Tennessee President Sidney McPhee is making a huge mistake or playing three-dimensional chess, but we begin with Jonathan Hutton of Outkick360, who helps us answer the questions, why is this Titans organization so good at overcoming adversity, and is what this offense is doing sustainable long-term? If you live in Nashville and you own a home, then you need to know the name The Kingston Group. They've been doing work in this market for a decade on people's houses, making people money and making them happy because they are trustworthy and they know what they're doing. That's it. It's not more complicated than that. BuildKG.com is the website. The Kingston Group. Give them a call. Have a conversation. You will be better for it, and I promise you that. I give you my word. That's The Kingston Group. BuildKG.com. I'm continuing my journey, my mission this week to try to talk to Titans experts and figure out exactly what it is that makes this organization so fundamentally sound from the ground up, Mike Vrabel and John Robinson. So let's bring in Jonathan Hutton of Outkick 360, and we'll talk to him about how they have built the organization that is able to overcome adversity. But we begin by talking about whether or not this offense can sustain its current level of production. To be determined, Braden, as you well know, without Derrick Henry... The biggest question I have in sustainability of what they were doing to what they can do is what happens when they're not leading on the scoreboard um, and when they're down double digits. Because you can go back, and, and I have, over the last several seasons to see where this team excels. And they excel with the lead or without the lead by handing the ball to Derrick Henry. And I'm not sure if they can continue to do that with the personnel that they have. That was their identity, and they could stick with it no matter what. And we've yet to see them trail big in a game where they didn't have Henry to lean on. He hasn't. Henry wasn't good the two games prior to his injury, but they could still leave him in the game, and, and there was something there that the defense had to worry about. Sustainability is tough to answer right now because, again, if a team grabs a lead, you take them away from their identity, at least in theory. And the question is, can Tannehill and the wide receiving core get them back into it without a run game that we know works no matter the score? What's fascinating to me is what they did against the Rams and sort of what you're suggesting, which is just next man up, finding a way to sort of overachieve and, and maybe maybe overcome adversity is a better phrase than overachieve because they're obviously a very talented roster. Right. But th- this to me, it, 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 you have to go deeper than just the guys on the team and how they built this particular roster. T- and I know the defensive line has been great, but to me, this is about John Robinson and Mike Vrabel building a core foundational principle inside that building. You've been around them. Can you describe or explain why this organizational structure has been so successful in the face of so much adversity? Well, I think it starts with what Robinson tried to do and really accomplished over the first two seasons of when he took the job. He started up front on the offensive and defensive lines and then worked his way out. And he also hit on Derrick Henry in the second round while having DeMarco Murray and making a good trade there. But it starts on the offensive line and it it fits their identity and style and mantra of tough, physical, relentless. I mean, all these words are plastered around their building and that they want it to be from the ground up and from the, the run game distributed to the pass game. Tannehill is very good at play action. That fits the run game mold as well. And they turned the offense around when they were able to turn around and give the ball to Derrick Henry 
on a routine basis. Defensively, they have figured out a way to get a pass rush with four, and that took much longer than what anyone thought it would. But the fact that they don't have to blitz as much and they can still find pressure on the quarterback allows them to go through some of these injury problems that they've had in the secondary and figure things out as they go. Now it's a bit reverse, right? Like the defense now has to lead this team as they figure out what they're going to do without Henry. But again, it starts up front. And right now that defensive front is leading the way. I agree with all of that, but there seems to be another tier down even further. Like, is it because Mike Vrabel is a very hands-on coach because he's an old school type of leader? John Robinson is just sort of, you know, got this innate ability to find seventh round defensive backs that can play when you need him to. Like, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm just fascinated with, it feels like there's another layer at the bottom of all of that that allows this stuff to happen. If that, if that makes any sense at all. Well, I think the, the layer that the, the missing piece is the unselfishness of some of the stars, right? Because you can distribute the football on offense to someone other than A.J. Brown, and he's not going to be the diva in the locker room demanding the football the way Odell Beckham Jr. would be doing. I think that's number one. Defensively, though, I, I think they know exactly what they need at certain pieces. A great example would be a player that they just waived that I think will eventually be back on the roster is Breon Borders. Borders is not very fast. He, 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 in fact, I think he's one of the slower defensive backs just watching him gain speed. But he is really, really good inside the red zone. And the Titans have been really good in recent weeks inside the red zone. They know these little pieces to the puzzle uh, and the analytics of they, – they don't want to use that word which is really funny, but I think there are some analytical aspects to the way they piece together the back end of their roster that fit a certain time and place of a game. And, and Breon Borders, is, but he's really good whenever you want to go heavy defensive back in the red zone and try to match up. Because again, you, everything's condensed. He doesn't need his speed. He uses technique and he's really good in that area. Uh, they have freed up Bayard, which allows younger players around him to excel um, and, and look, they've, you're right about the mid-round picks. A, a guy like Amani Hooker is a great example of that. Uh, Chris Jackson in the seventh round is a great example of that. They fit this mold of very sound, fundamental players that don't necessarily light up the combine, but the mentality of their defense is, is situated around, okay, can, can you open field tackle? Are you smart? Uh, do, do you feel how's your film study? Are you recognizing what this motion means offensively to how we're going to adjust the defense up front in the first two layers so that on the back end, you know what you're doing? Right. Yeah, all of that comes together. And I think a, a part of it is just knowing the type of player that you want that will fit the system. And they're, they're very good at that. You just like every single thing you just did describes Elijah Molden. Jonathan Hutton, thank you so much. Of course, uh, we do appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Thank you, Braden. Good to see you, man. Here is my favorite part of that answer. It's what I would call situational skill sets, knowing how each player's strengths and weaknesses work together with not only each other, but with the scheme and the in-game situation. And it's not always about having a great overall player who can do everything, who's scheme-versatile, positionless football. Don't get me wrong, I'll take 11 Isaiah Simmons and you can have whatever offense you want. But knowing exactly which player can do what, when, where, and how well, and then finding those specific attributes in a very targeted way through the draft and free agency, and then, oh, by the way, developing those specific situational skill sets, well, that is how you build a deeply rooted culture that allows you to sustain injuries or find success against a variety of schemes in a variety of situations. 
Excellent stuff from Hudden. We appreciate him hanging out with us today. Middle Tennessee President Sidney McPhee made the wrong decision this week to keep the Blue Raiders in Conference USA. Or maybe he made the best decision on accident. Or maybe he's playing three-dimensional chess. I am not exactly sure which one it is yet. Where a school plays its athletics, which conference it's in, is decided at the presidential level. University presidents and boards decide these things. The decision to stay in Conference USA on Wednesday, and I guess begin to build new rivalries with New Mexico State and Sam Houston State, doesn't seem like a long-term solution. McPhee and Middle Tennessee, along with Western Kentucky, both decided against joining the MAC on Wednesday, prompting a Thank the Good Lord press release from Conference USA. Now, if this decision is to keep open the option to join the American Athletic Conference, which seems like it would have already happened if the AAC really wanted them, or the Sun Belt, then this is the right decision and a savvy backpedal from the altar at the last second. If this is a move of patience, then I can get behind it. Things change quickly, I would bet, for example, that Memphis will join the Big 12 fairly soon. And when that happens, the AAC could expand again, and that could open up spots for Middle Tennessee or Western Kentucky, or at the very least, force the Sun Belt, ironically, to open up an invitation. If it is not, and McPhee and Middle don't have any path into the AAC or Sun Belt, and they're trying to tie their future to the wildly unstable Conference USA, well, it just seems like a bad move. As I said yesterday, the first option is the AAC, the first choice, and the second choice should be the Sun Belt. The third choice should 100% be the MAC, over staying put long-term. The stability and the long-term financial viability of the MAC seems like a no-brainer. I'm not suggesting it's perfect. It's a bizarre fit. There is no doubt about that. Traveling isn't ideal in that conference as well, but the league has a brand and a cult-like midweek following, and for that, it is worth flying to Buffalo and Ypsilanti. But traveling 1,400 miles to Las Cruces? For what? I don't get it. I sure hope there is a second move here for McPhee and Middle Tennessee. So college basketball season is underway, and I know that a lot of people are going to take a long time to get into the sport because that's what happens every year. You wait for football to finish, and then you find your way back into the college basketball gym. But I would like to say a couple of things here, and then we're going to hear from Mike Wilson of the Knoxville News Sentinel as to why maybe you should be into it a little bit earlier. Number one, the SEC from a talent perspective is different than it's ever been before, and I'll let Mike explain in just a second. But in Nashville... Vanderbilt is showing improvement, and more importantly, Belmont might be one of the best versions of Belmont they've ever had. Despite the loss to Ohio, a very, very good MAC team that's in the tournament all the time, challenging themselves, Casey Alexander and that team, you've got local teams that are worth paying attention to. Tennessee's very good. Kentucky is, of course, Kentucky. Both schools in Alabama are great. There's a lot of reasons to pay attention to college basketball. The SEC is way up in talent. If you don't believe me, just ask Mike Wilson of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Yeah, there's more high-level talent coming into the SEC than there's been. Uh, I mean, Alabama has five-star freshmen coming in. Tennessee has them. Kentucky has them. Auburn has them. I mean, LSU has them. There's a lot more talent that's coming into this league in a year-by-year basis outside of just Kentucky. Um, and it's making for an exciting brand. I mean, Arkansas, I don't think landed a five-star in this cycle. Certainly did the cycle before that. But they bring in transfers and play a brand. So there's a lot of talent that's coming into this league, and it's making it a lot more competitive, especially at the top. That was just a tiny bit of our conversation. We spent most of the time talking college football, but I did want to 
get a little college basketball juices going there. As, as again, I think there's a lot of talent in this league, unlike we've seen in a long time. So if you want to hear the rest of our conversation about Tennessee football, Tennessee athletics, Jeremy Pruitt, Josh Heupel, and a little college basketball, make sure you check out the Fringe Element podcast out every single Wednesday. Myself, Stephen Godfrey, Aaron Dugan talking SEC sports, mostly SEC football. Occasionally we dabble in the round ball. Of course, special thanks to the Kingston Group for bringing you this podcast every single morning for free. They are Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm, and they can be found at buildkg.com. Go talk to them. That's all I ask. Thank you guys all for listening. Of course, we'll have a big preview of the weekend of football coming up tomorrow on the show, so stay tuned. Share the product. We do appreciate it. My name is Braden Gall. Follow me on the Twitters at Braden Gall. Have a great one, everybody. Thank you for listening. This has been the 440 for Thursday, November 11th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. 